This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Try to put on the show. show, show. Well, we got a text here, which I think is actually pretty well phrased. And no, it's not the other one that was discussing us. Saying when we talked about Coward, it was two idiots discussing a moron. Riveting. Honestly, the best summation of our show we've probably ever gotten. Uh, But we also got a text about, hey, Chandler Jones has really fallen off a cliff since he left New England. That comes from the 4-2-5. Fair point, fair point. Sometimes they do. Uh, Allow me to retort. Stephon Gilmore has been placed on the physically unable to perform list by the New England Patriots, which means he misses at least the first six games. Well, there you so go. So he hasn't practiced a lick yet this training camp, and he's not going to play for the first six games. But yes, please tell me, tell, tell me all, all of those fans who want to see him acquired why that was the right move. Do you think that's a PUP list because of injury, or is this a injury, and it's actually going to end up being essentially a holdout for Gilmore that also allows the Patriots to have an extra roster spot. So here's the thing. We're not going to give you a raise, but we're not going to make you work the whole year. <laughs> it's That's a Danny nice compromise. Gallant. It's Danny Gallant. Let's get Brock Heward in here for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Boo 42! Boo 42! Rock, the other big news this morning, not related to the Seahawks, Cam Newton released by the New England Patriots. Billy don't mess around, does he? No, he does not. No, he does not. The Mac Jones era has begun. Okay, that's fine, though. But they're keeping him over Brian Hoyer? I'm sorry. They're keeping Brian Hoyer over Cam Newton. Yep. That doesn't make any sense. I don't think Bill likes drama, Danny. And and <laughs> I, I, I don't. He's not I'm, the USA Network characters welcome. Maybe wrong on that one. I may be elite, but I, I don't think he's he's real fond of off-field headlines. I just yeah. I, we all wondered was that going to be a fit a year ago? Cam was a good pro. Cam was limited as a thrower. Then, obviously, he gets a little bit of money this offseason. Not huge guarantees and certainly not enough guarantees that the Patriots would not make this move. I, did, I was just reading Daniel Jeremiah, and he made, I think, a good point, too, before hopping on with you. I, I think for the next decade, we will now look at Mac Jones versus Trey Lance. Kyle Shanahan went with upside, went with ceiling, went with a guy that could really run, a little bit more of a dual threat, right? Because everybody links mac jones to san francisco that was that was the buzz that that's who kyle shanahan targeted right he was at his pro day and that was you know perfect fit matt ryan clone get the ball out incredibly accurate wonderful processor everything else and then shanahan on draft day goes a different direction mac jones ends up in new england and i think those two will be tied for a long 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 time so that's the quarterback conversation this morning at cornerback, the Seahawks, Brock, traded for another one. Former UW corner, Jaguars corner, Sidney Jones. They've also traded for John Reed in the past week. How are you feeling about the position? Danny's feeling good about it going into the year. I'm a little freaked out. This probably means Trey Flowers gets released as well, right? I don't know, man. You think so? Saw a tweet about that mm-hmm. suggested by Greg Bell, but I... 
I don't know, honestly, at this point in time. You would think that that's a guy that they would trust to potentially have his depth. Well, I think this these moves show you that, that he he's not a guy they trust because right. he can't he can't play the ball, Paul. He unfortunately yeah. converted safety that you felt like you know is long and can play the kick step and stay over the top of people. But you know when you're getting beaten preseason by backup receivers and backup quarterbacks, that's just that does not spell good thing. It's not a harbinger of good things to come. So I I don't at two point one million. I think Sydney's about half the cost. Of Trey Flowers, and, and not that they don't have cap space, and they got plenty of cap space, but I just, yeah, I, I don't I don't think Trey is going to be around with all of these additions. I do like Sydney. I, I made that note last night on Twitter when that move was made. He is a guy that can play the football. I don't know how many times I've told you guys this. You need corners that can play the football. Who can actually see the ball in the air? Who can react to it? Who can play it like a receiver? Really, since Richard Sherman, the Seahawks have not been able to find that kind of difference maker to take the ball away. Shaq Griffin got his payday, got his bag. He's got a lot of money. Uh, I, I love Shaq Griffin. He was physical. He did a lot of things well, but he didn't play the ball in college. He didn't play the ball here in Seattle and in Sidney Jones and DJ Reed. You've got a few guys that can attack the football, which is, I think, a huge priority still in the system. Seattle wanted to resign Shaquille Griffin. The price ended up getting too high. Instead of going out and buying the best corner they could with that money that they'd allotted for Griffin or making a high push to, to using a resource, whether it's trading for Stephon Gilmore, they brought in Akella Witherspoon, yep. they drafted Trey Brown, they traded for John Reed, and they've now traded for Sidney Jones. Is the strength in numbers approach the right one to take at this position? Well, for, for me, it, it, it is, in particular with Shaq Griffin, because I, I didn't see him as a player worthy of that kind of money and financial security. If you're going to be that kind of corner, pay that kind of dough, to me, you've got to impose fear on a, on a quarterback. You've got to be able to take away uh, the best people on the other side. You've got to be able to, to be just a game wrecker. And, you know, we saw a lot of Shaq, and that was not him for four years. So I would not make Danny that investment in him. If you've got an elite guy like a Richard Sherman was, they committed to him. They paid him big money and believed in him. But they didn't believe to me, and, and I think that's the right decision, that, that volume is a little more important here. And you keep, you know, biting at the apple till till you get it right. And Sydney went healthy. That, that was his problem, right? Toward the Achilles uh, on his pro day. It was catastrophic. I watched it happen. I was actually there. Uh, he falls to the second round. Ultimately, I don't think he's ever had his elite twitch and speed back, but he compensates because he knows the game. He compensates because he can play the football in the air, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he pushes very, very quickly here to get on the field. Question two. Two. All right, Brock, we go from a question about a former Husky in Sydney Jones to one about the current Huskies. We had our big press conference yesterday. They unveiled the depth chart. I'm a little concerned because they have 13 offensive starters listed. Hope they know that you can only play 11. You can only start 11. They had too many too many starters listed on offense. Yep. But uh, who is the best pro prospect off of this Huskies roster? And I'm talking about guys that would conceivably be eligible for next year's draft, the 2022 draft. So you cut your nephew... All of the other freshmen and sophomores, first year, second year guys, are not part of this conversation. This is guys that could conceivably be eligible for next year's draft. Who's the best pro? I think there's two that are probably right there. Play different positions. We just got done talking about cornerback positions. I think McDuffie's one of those. Trent McDuffie. I love Trent McDuffie. I mean, Jimmy just continues the pipeline going of, of... 
And I was just reading about Elijah Molden last night. Yeah. Yeah, talking about how much this system he is, beat you. Is, ready, is ready him for the league, how much you study route concepts, how much just pattern recognition and teaching that you do. It is a pro-style system on the back end, and it's why Buda Baker's gotten paid what he's gotten paid, and, and many of these corners, City Jones still kicking around, and lots and lots of, of Husky secondary players wrap down there with the Rams have been able to make a good living Lots of millions of dollars, and I think strengthen the reputation of Jimmy's development of that phase of it. So I, I, he'd probably be one. Kate Otten would be way up there. Okay. I think if Kate Otten walked or drove, took an Uber down 405, I think he would be a contributor for the Seattle Seahawks this year. I think he's got that kind of a, that kind of a skill set at the tight end position. Those two, Danny, would probably Jackson Kirkland, depending on the year he has. Could he be a, a, a mid-round guy? I think he could, especially with a lot of systems in today's NFL that love that outside zone. I don't know if he projects as an NFL left tackle, probably a little more of a right tackle, but but he would be on the list, and I think those would be the front runners pushing into next April. Why has it been so hard for offensive players from UW to make it happen, at least those taken early in the draft compared to defensive players because as you guys have laid out there's a pretty clear track record of success amongst defensive players at, from UW yeah I'm John Ross and Dante Pettis come to mind Paul yeah. when you say that your first and second Bishop round picks Sankey. yep uh, Bishop Sankey I, I will say Miles Gaskin at the end of the draft and Savon Hockmed have made <laughs> made yeah, a nice true. little nice little push so I think the value has been more maybe at the bottom end of some of those drafts. But John Ross was a little guy. He was unbelievably explosive collegiately. But you even saw in that Alabama game, like, man, you face elite corners and big physical guys. He's going to have a hard time. And Pettis is the enigma for me. I think he's in with the Giants now. I saw him at the end of last season. I, I felt like that guy's just instincts his playmaking in the special teams phase, the all-time leading returner touchdown man in the history of the conference. I thought he projected a little bit better, but the physicality, again, you know, you've, you've got to be a physical, strong, or you've got to have elite short area quickness. And unfortunately, those guys at that, at that position, that receiver position, have struggled at the next level. Question number three. Well, Brock, Colin well, Coward. Polly. Keeps dropping number one hit songs about Russell Wilson. And uh, here is the latest from Fox Sports 1. Russell Wilson's Mr. Optimism, Mr. Positive Vibes, Go Hawks. And he's surrounded by a bunch of kind of moody, what's in it for me? I want a contractor. I'm not going to practice. And it's weird. I think Seattle players respect Russell Wilson. But is he one of the guys? Like, I don't know. It's It's very weird. Everybody's what's in it for me, and I'm like, it's 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 I, Russell Wilson. Until this year, was just like focused, children's hospitals, optimism, go Hawks. It's a weird vibe up there. What's the vibe you're getting? Come on, the Brock. weird vibe that Colin Coward's getting from Seattle. I, I can't cast blame on Russell for what Dwayne and Jamal. And Quandre did do. Yeah. I, I I think that's uh, <laughs> no no that's no. A reach. no. But is 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 Cowherd right about there being a mismatch that Russ is team first and he's surrounded by a bunch of selfish guys who are just worried about their money? 
No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's a fair characterization of Dwayne Brown and Quandre Diggs and Jamal. Those guys are concerned about their money. Those guys did make a stand. You know, Danny. <laughs> rightfully so. You. <laughs> You had a little phone with me on Twitter when I uh, what what did I do? Sometimes my Twitter skills aren't great. Oh yeah, you so quote Brady retweeted Henderson, someone yes. instead of just responding to him yeah. like a normal person. Instead, yes. you decided to go all Ivory Tower, like oh well. Here's Brady, Brady, how many other how many other holdouts are currently ongoing? Whoa whoa whoa, the whoa, 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 no, 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 not holdouts, hold ins. Oh, okay, hold ins. My bad. My, my bad. <laughs> Brady, yes. how many of these others are? How many other teams have this many dudes who want more money? <laughs> I, 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 there, I don't think there were many around the league that are holding in. <laughs> I, I didn't get an answer. Brady never, never answered me Did back you, on that. Because he's not, you're not his boss. You can't go on the internet and tell him to go look this up for you. He's not your research assistant. He's covering the Seahawks. Scribe, I think, I, do this I think work he, for me. I think he knew the answer. I think I know the answer. I think you guys know the answer. There's no other team with more than one hold in. That is, you know, I think that is more Pete and John. That's more the dynamic of, of the way things are done in Seattle. That's more the good cop that is Pete Carroll, that is Captain Positivity, that is Captain Optimism right alongside Russell. And then Matt Thomas and John Schneider who sit in their tower, who've got to make all the numbers work, who have their plan for the short term, the long term. And they've got to fold all of that in. And that, to me, is you've got one of the most powerful coaches, one of the longest tenured coaches, one of the best coaches in the league. But he is a player's guy. Yeah. He is a optimist, and he is positive, and I think he is a good cop in that organization. And it leads the Dwayne Browns and the, and the Jamals and the Quandres to think, yeah, yeah, I can hold in, and, and coach is okay with this. I don't know how that would play with Captain Bill out in New England. If he's willing to cut Cam Newton, I don't know how that plays there because that guy is Captain Bad Cop uh, at just about every turn. So I think it's a little bit more uh, of just the dynamic within the program than it is Russell Wilson and his leadership over those guys in their business situations. I totally agree with you, Brock. And I'll say this more. It's about Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll's message of empowerment and how much he speaks only positively to build up players Yep, makes it harder to say, no, you don't deserve that. No, no, you can't. And that's why you hear Pete when, guys, he's making a statement. We sat down and talked to him. He never says sort of they're, they're not right to ask for this or, hey, Correct. we're not going he tries to. He tries to that's on, that part's on Pete. But here's it the is. other part is that that approach that Pete takes – he also applies it to Russell Wilson. Like, mm-hmm. how many other coaches would be cool with their quarterback saying, Seattle, we got a deal. In a midnight Instagram after he gave them a deadline that he wanted them to meet. So all of those same rules help, like, Russ benefits from him too, and he gets empowered by him. So I don't want to hear this, oh, poor Russ, he's surrounded by selfish dudes. I am curious how Peyton and Tom Brady would handle both Pete in situations like this. Because I think that's where Colin comes from, right? I mean, I think some of his backgrounds, like Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, the GOAT. Like, how would Tom Brady handle that? Maybe he'd be fine with it. I think maybe at this stage, at his his age or whatever, he'd be fine with it. I don't know how the sheriff would have handled that that back in the day in 02, 03 when I was with him in Indianapolis. But that's because he would want someone else to go get the peons in line. Like, he would be like, I don't want to mess around with this. Like, why isn't that guy out there catching passes? Mm. Dwayne Brown needs to be at left tackle. Get it done right now. 
Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's happy, sunshiny. Like, yeah, yep. Brett Russell, go endorse your bread. Do whatever you yep. want. Yep. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. You like my little picture I just sent you guys, by I the do. way? I do. I do. What's what's going on here? I mean, it looks sort of... Are you texting while you're talking to us, Brock? <laughs> when I was listening to Cowherd. <laughs> so, Brock sent us a picture. It's a, uh Instagram post, and it features Russell Wilson wearing sunglasses, uh, all black. He's got a black beanie on, and, and Ciara's to his left, also wearing a black beanie and all black. Uh-huh. Uh, Russ does it's, have some bling going on. It's um, art. It's art. Yeah, it certainly is art. <laughs> it's art. That's for sure. Bro- Brock, did I make you mad when I tried to poke fun at you on the internet? No, I always worry that I'm going to rankle the bear. No, 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 no. I think I'm the only one that gives you a hard time. <laughs> that's good. I did chuckle at it. I was like, oh, that's right. I probably didn't have to quote tweet. It wasn't even that like intentional. I was just trying to get Brady to give me an answer, and it probably... <laughs> I probably should have just texted him. <laughs> Brock's out here on Main Street telling Brady what to do. Brock, we love yes. talking to you. We, we will catch up with you on Thursday. We'll have a full 53-man roster to discuss. Yeah, I think we'll have some moves to discuss. I don't think Sydney's the beginning nor the end. be a lot of fun. See you, boys. All right, that is Brock Heward. He joins us on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. We'll have Michael Bumpus with us tomorrow. I think that perspective's right. I think what Brock just said about Sort of why does Seattle have more frequent hold-ins? Why does Seattle have, and have they had over the past 10 years, some of the more public friction with their players, whether it's about what what they want in new contracts, whether it's Cam Chancellor holding out? I, I think that goes into, that's the trade-off with Pete Carroll's style. That That's the trade-off. Pete Carroll's unrelenting positivity has a lot of benefits. The one negative is then you don't have the hammer of fear where you tell people like, I don't want to hear what you have to say or what you think this is the way it's going to be, and you're not getting that. It's interesting that you say that because former Seahawk wide receiver TJ Hujmanzada had similar sentiments. It's the culture that Pete brings to the team. You can be yourself. You can say what you want to say. You can do what you want to do. And so they get comfortable saying what they want to say and doing what they want to do. If you think about it, Russell Wilson started this. He said a couple years ago, you have until this day to sign me. If you do not sign me, I'm not signing a contract. Pretty much, I'm forcing your hand right now. Give me a deal or I'm leaving or I'm going to try to leave. What did they do? They signed him to a deal. And and so other players see the quarterback do it. He gets the deal. Let me see if I can do it. And I can understand why maybe in certain situations – They sit back and they don't want to set precedent for others by giving an extension. Other teams do this, too. This is not this is not exclusive. Like most teams across the league, they're a little, I think, concerned potentially about deciding to give in to contract demands because they think that the entire roster will then start asking for contract demands. But most of the other teams around the league take a much more hardline stance. Yes. Like you don't have another. I don't know if they're. Is there another coach that comes out and says he's making a statement about what he wants no. and we have a great understanding? It, unique exclusively to here. He acknowledges the holdout and almost and takes their of, side. It, yeah, he, he validates it, right? He says like he's asking for what he wants. He doesn't say they're going to give it to him. He doesn't it, – it's not like it's, it's going to – but he, he does as much as you can to sort of positively – he says no in the most positive sense possible, right? Like, he says no in the most shame-free. Like, the only time I can remember him getting fussy about a contract was when Russell Okung 
in Okung's rookie year, didn't practice for the first week, and it was because his agent was trying to negotiate. Eric Berry was the fifth overall pick in the draft. Russell Okung was the sixth, and they wanted more money than Eric Berry got because the left tackle is a more valuable position than safety. They they tried to use the approach that teams use with quarterbacks, where, hey, yeah, he's, he was the third pick, but he deserves more than the number two guy because he's a quarterback. And and it didn't work. And afterward, Pete was like, yeah, this could have gotten done a week ago. This was a huge waste of time. Same thing was there. It's the last time he's done it. He he has not taken that approach. So it it, it does. I think Hushmanzad is right. It's funny that Hush is the one saying it. <laughs> it's funny that Hush is the one saying it because he ended up on the other side of that when they released him in Pete's first year, 2010, even though they owed him a lot of money. They basically paid him $8 million to leave. But but he but he's right. I, I do think that that environment and the, and the way Pete runs things does encourage more players or at least doesn't have them fearful of the consequences if they do what Quandre Diggs and Dwayne Brown are doing right now. And Hushmanzato went a little bit further with this in this conversation he was having. He said that the way that players hold out on the Seahawks, it's Pete Carroll's fault. And so Pete Carroll has to understand the culture that he's bringing to the team. We're grown men, but... If I feel like I'm underpaid on certain teams, you you go to your agents, you might not say right. Much. They're going to say it because Pete Carroll gives them that liberty. It's That's, his fault. It's interesting that well, it's his okay. fault, though. What do you lose, though? What do you lose right. by doing that? Like, I mean, that's my okay. If you're saying it's his fault, what do you lose by doing that? You lost two games with Cam Chancellor in 2015, and that was a mess. That was a mess. What have they lost so far this year? Nothing. In fact, we don't even know definitively that any of these guys are going to sit out games. Dwayne Brown, you could lean towards yes, but in the Mike. case of Quandre Diggs, I would lean towards no. Why yeah, would he? I don't. I don't think Quandre Diggs is missing games. So that that would be my flip side because you you also do gain, and I think this is a calculation that Pete has made is that by having a more unrelentingly positive environment and this being part of that, you get more out of guys. And yeah. Yeah, maybe guys, maybe it does create a little more turbulence, but Pete's willing to tolerate that. And Pete has a higher threshold for disruption and guys speaking out than other coaches do because he doesn't feel that that costs you as much. And you know what? I think all in all, he might be right. I, I In fact, I lean toward that that approach netting more than you lose in sort of the uncertainty of moments like this when people, because I think it's mostly people like us that are worried about it rather than an actual detriment it, within the team and, and on Sundays once the regular season starts. I'm with you there. It, that's what these contract discussions really are in August. Let's be perfectly frank. At times, these are the stories that we look at because there's no resolution that we have and there's no information that we have on it, and we start to talk ourselves into a bit of a panic until the guys actually don't show up. And this is why I wasn't really that concerned about the Jamal Adams holdout because I'm like, well, I mean, is he going to be there for the regular season? Every single day he's not at practice. That's one more day that he's not potentially risking some sort of a J.K. Dobbins-esque, freak-esque accident. To the point where now I'm like sort of with the, you know, the way the Seahawks handled the preseason with their starters, I'm even feeling a little bit better about that. We'll see against the Colts. Right now, nothing really to be that concerned about, but that's what Colin Cowherd's going to do. He is, he is going to push that as much as he can. It's Danny and Gallant. Coming up next, are you buying it? We're going to run through some of the biggest questions on today as Seattle trims its roster to 53 players. That's ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. 
The Mariners are making a push to the playoffs, and 710 ESPN Seattle has you covered every step of the way. Stream every Mariners game on your smart speaker. We're going to be giving you away some Mariners tickets later in this hour. You need to stay tuned for that. We're going to give you a number to call in. There's going to be caller number four who gets those tickets. But we thought we'd go through an edition of Are You Buying It? here as we get ready for the Seahawks to set their 53-man roster. So we'll be putting some items up for auction to see who's bidding on them. Buy. Sell. Are you a buyer or a seller? All we're doing is breeding a whole new generation of buyers and sellers. Buyers and sellers. Can we sell now? It doesn't look good in my portfolio. I'm out. All right. We're starting off with the question. Alex Collins. He got he got the ball 20 times in this final preseason game. It's a lot of opportunities. Some people thought maybe that's a showcase for a trade, but he looked to me like the backup running back. Here, here is Brock Heward with his evaluation of where Alex Collins stands on the, on the depth chart going into these final roster cuts. I think right now that answer is yes. I, I think Rashad has a still higher ceiling. I think, he's, I think he's more home run capability. Alex Collins is, to your baseball analogy earlier with a pitcher, is a lot more doubles and doubles and doubles, uh, whereas Penny it feels like it's a single or home run. There's very little in between there, and and I I think that he's done. If this is about competition and compete every day, Alex Collins has been durable and available in camp. He's come down slimmer. His feet look as good as they did back in the day in college. And going into this week, <laughs> the message that sends to your team as well is you got to go out there and earn it. Hammer the rock. Collins gives you the ability to hammer the rock. Don't you Are feel you like the idea he's the backup? Yes, I think so. I, I now I don't know how touches would work because I still think Penny would get some looks. Mm-hmm. But I do think that should Chris Carson miss a game, that Collins is the one that would be getting 15 carries as opposed to Rashad Penny. So usually how Seattle's running back rotation works is that the starter will get the first two series. The backup comes in on the third series. We think that's going to be Collins that comes in on that third series. And then you have a separate back for third down situations, which I actually, I think is most likely to be DJ Dallas. I agree. I think DJ Dallas has looked like someone that not only is, I think, a little bit better in terms of just running with the football, but also someone that if you've been watching practices that Russell Wilson has been throwing to on a regular basis. And that's what you want out of your third down running back, a guy that your quarterback looks at and throws to and trusts. All right. So we're sold on that one. Yes. So Next one. Rashad Penny, who we've just bumped out of the backup running back spot, is not a lock to make the roster. Are you buying or selling this one? I'm selling that. Look, he sell, sell. is a first-round pick, mm-hmm. and you still know that he has at the very least performed in this league. He has a five yards per carry average yep. for his career. You're just going to cut that for who? For what? Travis Homer would be the answer. And that that question, because here's, I don't think Rashad Penny's guaranteed anything. I, I don't think if you had, if he was the, the sixth best running back and you were keeping five, or he's the fifth best, best running back and you're keeping four, I, I think he's out. But you're also not in a situation where you're looking at it and looking for ways to get rid of him, right? Like, you're, it, if he did, he get beat out by Travis Homer. 
Because no. Alex Collins, Chris Carson, and DJ Dallas are firmly on this team in my mind. Is, is are you gonna are you gonna keep are you gonna keep Travis Homer ahead of Rashad Penny? My answer to that is no. So I'm I'm absolutely I'm absolutely selling the idea that there's any question about Rashad Penny making this roster. The only edge Homer could theoretically have on Penny is that he could play special teams. That is and it. Pass protect. <laughs> yeah, he's your left tackle. Uh, he's a monster pass protector. Look how big you know he how is. much I, you know how much I love his pass protection. Oh, it's the best. It's your favorite. Penny would also not save you much money if you were to move on from him, too. If there were actual savings to be had here, that would be yeah. one thing. But you're burning money that you won't be able to use this year. Yeah, you're going to set that money on fire to get rid of him. Which, look, it's not enough money if you didn't think he was making the team. If you thought there were five guys better than him, you, you wouldn't hesitate to say, hey, it's not enough money that you keep someone on the team over a better player. But there's nobody you're going to cut. There's nobody you're going to cut that you would rather have than Rashad Penny. And that's usually the factor in these decisions. Let's skip over center because I think we know that Kyle Fuller is going to be your starter there. Let's go to wide receiver. D. Eskridge played for the first time in the preseason. He had a great catch. He had a promising end-around run. Here's Jake Heaps talking about where he sees D. Eskridge, the rookie out of Western Michigan, factoring into the offense this season. Now with two weeks left to go in terms of his preparation to get ready for week one, I have zero doubt if D. Eskridge can stay healthy and not have any setbacks, he will be the number three receiver, and he will make significant contributions. What I saw from him yesterday, this is a guy that can be a legitimate difference maker, not a gadget guy, but a legitimate difference maker at the receiver position and help this offense be that much more dynamic with all the other weapons that they have. I was really excited about what I saw from D. Eskridge yesterday. couple of things to factor in here. First off, Jake talks with Russ, so I'm guessing that because of what Russ has been seeing out there, that there's a little confirmation behind that. We know that there's been a lot of tropey stories, fluffy stories about how Eskridge has been one of the first guys to show up. Don't put a lot of stock into that. Put more stock into the fact that he went out there and he looked fast. And that's something that can be usable from the beginning, regardless of what he knows and doesn't know about the offense. So you're buying the idea. D. Eskridge, number three receiver, ahead of Freddie Swain. You're buying it. By the end of the year, yes. And I would say probably by week four at the very, li- at the very latest. How about you? I think he's going to get more balls from the drop, from the jump. From the I think jump. he gets targeted. I think he has more touches than Freddie Swain has in week one. Okay. I think, it, I, I think it's happening from the beginning. That, is, that excites me. All right. I told you that you're going to get a chance to win tickets. Here it is. We want to send one of you to a Mariners game in September. So the third caller at 206-421-3776, 866-979-3776, will win four tickets to an upcoming game. Don't forget, tomorrow the Mariners host Houston. It's a midweek matinee. Hopefully they'll be in position to wrap up a series victory after beating them tonight, but that's a lot of fingers crossed here given the, the recent results. You can leave work early for that one ten game tomorrow, and for just $10, see a great AL West matchup. Find tickets at mariners.com slash value. Uh, we Go ahead and call in, and we will be giving a winner tickets to that. It is Danny and Gallant. We're going to continue looking into cut down day and exactly what you can expect. And is Seattle's defense actually improved? A lot of that's going to depend on, on what happens at one position. We'll tell you what that is next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. 
Some interesting news that makes me wonder if Aaron Rodgers could potentially, I don't know, have some second thoughts about this coming season. David Bakhtiari joins Stephon Gilmore as another big name to be placed on the PUP list, the Packers' starting left tackle. Ooh. That's kind of a surprise. Yeah. I mean, I think the assumption, I know he wasn't practicing, and I think the assumption most people had, he hurt his knee late last year. Right. I I had not, both, Stephon Gilmore, there's clearly something weird going on there because he wants a new contract, and now this is related to quad surgery he underwent last year, which, look, that's that's not something that you usually see a guy missing time in in the, in the subsequent season. He wants a new contract, so maybe this is a case of the Patriots aren't going to give him a raise, but they're not going to make him work the first six week, weeks of the season. I, I think that's what's taking place behind the scenes, and they can use the quad injury as an excuse there might also be an element of New England wants to see him back out there post-quad, and why would Stephon Gilmore want to reveal his hand as a guy who was a defensive player of the year not too long ago? So it's an interesting standoff, and I'm curious as to what happens when he finally is taken off the PUP list towards the middle of the year. It's also possible there is a st- Here, Here's the one thing we haven't seen on the hold-ins. What happens if the guy just says, I'm not ready to play when the season starts? Because with holdouts, we knew the resolution to that. You don't get paid. If you just say you're not healthy enough to play, can can you do that? Hmm. If you just say, and they're like, no, we think you're okay. And you're like, no, I'm not healthy. Can can you do that? Was this Stephon Gilmore maybe daring them to cut him? Like, And I don't, I don't know how all of those different things will play out. We haven't seen how hold-ins resolve themselves when the guy doesn't get the deal that he wants, though. That's a good question. It's almost like the J.D. Drew question. Remember him famously would never play baseball player when he was less than 100%. But 99%, 98%, no, he's not out there unless he's 100%. Technically, I think you are injured. If if you feel you are injured, I guess you are injured. And it really is, I guess, up to the team to determine whether or not how that's authentic. But if you're a star player of Gilmore's caliber, I think you have that leverage there. We... We've seen it very rarely where there's an actual public dispute between a player and a team over how hurt that player is. Uh, Kalechi Osamelli, the offensive lineman, I think is the last one I can remember where he underwent surgery with the Jets and the Jets claimed he was healthy enough to play and I think tried to not pay him. It usually doesn't get to that point, but I, we don't know how hold-ins are going to resolve themselves. Holdouts resolved when the guy showed up for work. What if a guy's there and he's just not practicing because he's not ready to go and he still tells you he's not ready to go? Well, as a texter asks, maybe they just bring a doctor's note. <laughs> Fantastic text, sir. The, back of the, text the, the same way line. you get medicinal marijuana is how you get out of NFL work. <laughs> it's Danny Egalon, 710 ESPN Seattle. We asked the question going Dear into the break. Dear Bill Belichick, <laughs> Stefan Gilmore has Legionnaire's disease. He's unable to, he is unable to report for work for at least the first six weeks. Um, Please excuse his absence. Plus, also, doctors can't write. I mean, noticeably, like if you if you've ever seen a prescription, <laughs> it'll just be a squiggle. Oh, that's penicillin. But what about this squiggle? Oh, that's amoxicloroquine or something like that. Anyway, we were asking the question about the Seahawks defense next year. Do you think they're going to be better, the same, or worse? It's so hard to predict a defense in the league year to year. You've been on that, Danny, and I agree with you. One year, a team can be awesome. The next, awful. Take a look at Buffalo last year. Buffalo, in the year before, was one of the better defenses in the NFL in 2019. Last year, they were suspects at best. 
with the Seahawks, they were historically one of the worst in the NFL at the beginning of last year. They mm-hmm. played well down the stretch, but they did take advantage of some shaky quarterback play for sure. Now they go into this year with two new starting cornerbacks compared to where they began last year with some new members on the defensive line. No K.J. Wright, no Jaron Reed. It's different. Are they better? Are they worse? Are they the same? I think that they should be better because they were younger last year and the bulk of those younger players should get better. I don't think that they're that significantly better, though. I don't think we're going to see. I think what you hope for is some steady improvement or holding the same as to the second half of last year. I, the question isn't, is this team going to take a mammoth step forward? The question is, are they going to continue the improvement that we saw last season, even without Shaquille Griffin as their established starting corner? It, are, are they going to keep... I think that the improvement they showed last year was real. I think they will take the next incremental step in that direction, and I'm basing that largely on the belief that Jamal Adams fully healthy for a year is going to be a problem. And hopefully he will stay healthy for a full season. Marquise Blair back, Daryl Taylor back, that also is something to look at and point to along with Jordan Brooks as young players who you're hoping are going to be better this coming season. My concerns with the Seahawks defense mostly lie with the cornerback position, but your concerns lie with something else. Defensive line. It, you still you still got a bunch of you're hoping four quarters add up to a dollar 50 when it comes to your pass rush. Like that's and maybe it will. And maybe that approach is the right way to go, but I think you're hoping that four quarters add up to a buck 50. And that's what I feel like they're doing at cornerback. And what if they're doing that at both defensive line and cornerback? But they've done it at corner before, and it's worked out. I know it has, but it feels like there was such a long time ago where it really was working out, and they were hitting home runs in the draft with Richard Sherman and Byron Maxwell and Jeremy Lane, you know, and 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 then they bring in Brandon Browner too. Uh, they they struck a gold mine, and it's one thing to do it then, but can you really keep doing it forever and ever? And I, I would say, outside of Shaquille Griffin and maybe DJ Reed. There's a lot of questions about most of the guys that they have brought in to try and play that cornerback position. Bring in, they've got four new guys, and they're going to see which ones of them pan out. They brought in four new guys, and they're going to see, can you get a starter out of that group? And my answer is going to be yes. And we started the show by saying, hey, I'd rather take the approach that they've taken rather than go out and get the one high-priced guy. And the one high-priced guy that everybody's talking about is Stephon Gilmore, and he's on the physically unable to perform list. So I'm not... I'm not going to say I'm right because we have to see how it plays out, but but I would say that I feel pretty confident about the, my belief that their their strength in numbers is the better approach rather than going and fixating on one guy that another team's willing to give up on. I, I like strength in numbers better on the defensive line though than I do in the in the secondary because in, we've seen some teams have won without paying a lot of money to big time pass rushers, and you've seen some of the issues that say a team like the um, Chicago Bears had by trading for someone like Khalil Mack. Like, did Khalil Mack make their defense better? I mean, shoot, the, the Raiders were talking about trading back for him. Now, that's a Raiders problem, but the, the Bears' defense has been good. Yeah. The improvement, the improvement last year. Seattle's cornerbacks were not as big an issue the second half of the season as they were the first half of the season. That is Why correct. Is that? that is correct. Why is that? Is it the emergence the of got Reed better or the is pass the, rush? No, I think it's the pass rush. Carlos Dunlap. Dunlap showed up, and all of a sudden, that their pass rush was better. 
Like that's that's what what I worry is that Carlos Dunlap's huge impact that that occurred after he got here that you're not going to see that carry forward because he's an older player too and you did bet a significant amount of money that he's still going to be able to contribute and be that kind of player for you. The interesting thing with Dunlap is his snap counts because he did not play a huge amount last year and and that's why I look at some of the other younger players. Alton Robinson had a really good rookie season. Is he going to be able to be better than he was? Rasheem Green had a good preseason. We've said that before about him, so I'm not putting a lot into him. But Kerry Hyder's brought in. That's a guy who had a lot of production last season, filling in for an injured San Francisco team. Benson Mayo is a very competent player. So really, on the defensive ends, I, I, I like what they have, I think, at defensive end, given the, what they try to do. And we'll see what happens with Daryl Taylor. I guess if I'm talking about the defensive line, the, the real question I have is, is interior depth and what, what happens after Puna Ford and Brian Monet. And I oh, got Big Al Woods. That's true. And I honestly like that they brought old man strength back because I like Al Woods, even if he, you know, may have gotten a little assistance from back in the day that saw him suspended at the la- at the end of his time with the Seahawks. I I like the defensive line. I guess I, I I don't look at it as a as a liability the way that it was in the first half of last year. I I look at the back end now and I like their safeties a lot. I I think at nickel corner, if Marquise Blair looks like he did on Saturday, then I'm feeling great. It's just the outside guys, and they're going to go up against better quarterbacks this year. So it's not going to be so easy as it was last season. Like I said, I think they. I, my worry is that they got four quarters, and they're hoping that it adds up to a dollar fifty. That it's a sum that's greater than the total of their parts. That they're going to get out of that, and maybe it will. And we've seen it work in the past, and it did when they had Chris Clemens and Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett all there, and they were able to win a Super Bowl with that group and that supercharged pass rush. My concern or my fear is that they're not going to have that level. That level, they're not going to have the, the that quality of pass rush with the guys they have right now. It's Danny Gallant. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Paul Gallant. Seven ten. ESPN Seattle. The Mariners had a tough loss to the Houston Astros last night. Are they going to be able to bounce back? the way that we've seen them bounce back before? And can this guy, who has been, I think, someone that hasn't done so well against the best teams in baseball, get back on track after a two-month rough stretch? We'll talk about him next.